Welcome back to the Fueled and Well podcast. Today, I am going to be answering your questions. I love doing these episodes, and I really hope you find them helpful because I find a lot of times we all have similar questions kind of floating around in our brain about this stuff. If you have questions that you want me to answer in the next Q&A episode and you didn't get the chance to submit this time, there is a link in the show notes where you can submit for future episodes, so be sure to check that out. Now let's dive in. A quick disclaimer before we get started. This podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only. It should not be taken as individual medical advice and does not constitute a provider-practitioner relationship. I always like to preface these episodes in particular with a disclaimer because you are submitting your individual questions. So remember, I don't know your full background or your situation. This is just based on what is written in the question, where might I direct you or what might you want to be considering, okay? And then the other thing is we got a lot of really great questions when we put this question box on our Instagram story. So I'm not going to be able to get to them all in this episode but I am keeping track of the ones we have and haven't answered. So if you don't hear your question answered in this episode, keep an eye out in future episodes because we will definitely be doing more of these. The first question I want to answer is about how to start exercising after HA to maintain your period, but also build muscle. And this person asked, you know, how often and what to focus on in particular with exercise. So first, I do want to say, obviously, I am not, you know, a personal trainer or a strength and conditioning coach or somebody who is an expert in exercise. So we are going to keep this one kind of general and more focused on kind of, you know, overall health and period recovery. So like normal, I always recommend first that you make sure you don't change anything about your food or exercise until you've had three consecutive natural cycles. Then you can start looking at how do I want to build some different habits? How do I want to start adjusting my current habits to better suit what feels good to me or some goals that I have? Making changes to your exercise before you've hit three recovery cycles can set you back sometimes. So I just wanted to kind of start with that. And then once women that I work with have gotten those three initial recovery cycles, I tend to recommend reincorporating exercise slowly and monitoring how your cycles respond as you do that. So if you're getting to the point where pretty soon you are going to start being able to add more exercise back in, make sure you are tracking your cycles so that you have a baseline of what your current normal is. Things like cycle length and when you typically ovulate, how long your luteal phase is, things like that, so that as you start to change your exercise volume or intensity or types of training, you can pretty quickly notice if your body is adjusting your cycles to compensate because that's a red flag. For example, maybe you start with, you know, 20 to 30 minutes of strength training twice a week. That's my change for the month or, you know, for the next few weeks as I track my cycle. And maybe you notice that that month you have a longer cycle than normal. 
or your luteal phase changes, or you don't see a spike in temperatures like you normally do that indicates you've ovulated. And in that case, you might have attempted to change your habits too soon, or you may have changed them too drastically, in which case, let's pull back a little bit, look at our cycle data for this coming month, and then reevaluate. When it comes to this person's question more about like building muscle, Again, I'm not an expert in that, but a couple of things from the nutrition side of things that you will need to do if you're hoping to get stronger and put on muscle mass, you need to eat enough. So make sure you haven't regressed in your food habits. Make sure you are fueling your workouts well, meaning at least carbs beforehand, ideally something a bit more substantial, like maybe carbs and protein, and then carbs, protein, and hydration as a really, really solid post-workout nutrition option. If you aren't doing those things consistently, it's unlikely that you're going to see changes in muscle mass or strength because your body's just not going to have the building blocks to make that happen. When it comes to how to work out or what to focus on in the gym for this goal, that is definitely not my area, but I want to direct you to episode 19 where I interviewed a fantastic personal trainer, Sarah, and she talked a lot about the basics, the foundations of strength training, which is where I would encourage you start. Nothing super flashy, super trendy, and definitely nothing like really high intensity in terms of spiking your heart rate and doing like supersets and crazy circuits and all of that. We really want to just stick to some of the basic foundational strength training strategies, which Sarah talks to really, really beautifully in episode 19. So I will link that in the show notes for you. Okay, the next question we were asked is, I'm eating and resting more and I've been doing so for six months. Why isn't my period normal yet? Now, obviously, I don't know your exact situation. And so I'm not sure if you're just having irregular cycles at this point. Or if it's like maybe come back for a month and then it's gone again. I don't know your exact situation here. So I'm going to have to make some educated guesses. But there are a lot of reasons that you could be six months into attempting recovery and still feel as though you're not there yet. So first things first, in the way that this question was written, I'm eating and resting more. That's going to be really relative, right? If you were drastically under eating or over exercising, and now you're resting more and eating more, it still just might not be enough for your body to feel safe and for your hormones to truly rebound. You may need to push even further outside of your comfort zone than you expected initially for your body to feel safe. So I want to direct you to two episodes in particular. And this is for anybody who's like, I am resting more, I'm eating more, I've been doing it, why isn't it working? Episodes 18 and 20 are going to be really great. 18 talks about the reasons why you might feel like you are eating so damn much. You're like, oh my gosh, I cannot fathom doing more with food, but you could still be under eating even if you feel like that. There's a lot of different things that we pick up over time when we are eating quote unquote healthy or dieting that can make it really hard to eat enough for period recovery, even if you feel like oh my gosh, I can't fathom putting more on my plate. So that's episode 18. And then episode 20 talks about ways that you might be hindering your recovery that you are not aware of. So I would definitely check that one out too and see if you're doing anything in kind of that like list of common mistakes that women make. 
The last piece of advice that I will give you is going fully cold turkey on exercise might be a really great option for you. Given that you've been working on this for six months now and either still don't have a period or things aren't norm. And I know that can be really hard to hear, but everyone's body is different. And if yours is perhaps just a bit more sensitive to exercise or a bit more like chronically overtrained, you may benefit from just full rest right now, especially because you've already put in six months of work and I would hate to see it turn into six more or years down the line and things still aren't normal for you. So just something else to consider, maybe fully pulling out exercise temporarily. Our next question is about cycle length. So this person asked, are cycles sometimes longer in HA recovery, like 40-ish days? Yes. It takes a while for your hormones to truly get back into the swing of things, and sometimes that does manifest as longer cycles. That is not uncommon in women with a history of HA. There's a little bit of evidence to this, but also there's an element of subjectivity. But usually what I will flag as too long is about 45 days, especially for those first few cycles. If you are like, you know, six, eight months in and they're still that long, that could be something we need to look at unless before you lost your period, your cycles were longer. Now, what I would recommend here, if you're like, I'm only a couple cycles in and they're like in the high 30s or low 40s, what I would recommend is one, tracking your cycles. There are plenty of apps that do it for you, but we also have a really fantastic cycle tracking spreadsheet that also implements some subjective stuff like habits that some of those apps won't incorporate. I will link that in the show notes. That way you can figure out if there are any areas of concern that indicate your cycles are not only longer, but they're also dysfunctional in some sort of way, like absence of ovulation or a short luteal phase. Because if we don't have any signs of dysfunction and the first few are just a little bit longer, that's probably okay and that will likely start to work itself out. But if you start to track your cycles and you're like, hmm, okay, my cycles are like 42, 43 days, and I don't have a marked rise in temperature that indicates ovulation, then we're talking about longer than normal and likely anovulatory cycles, which is a bit more of a red flag than just my first two cycles were longer than what's considered quote-unquote normal. And remember, the range of what's considered normal for cycle length is pretty wide. 21 to 35 days, somewhere in there is considered normal. Again, it does depend on like your own history. If before you lost your period, your cycles were 24 days on the dot, and now we're talking between 38 and 44 days, yeah, that's probably not normal for you. And hopefully they start to shorten soon. But again, there is a lot of individual variation. So try not to get too hung up on the details but I would make sure you are at least tracking so that you can understand and identify if there are dysfunctional parts of these longer cycles. Next question, will I always be this hungry? No. <laughs> so luckily, no, you won't. Depending on how drastically and for how long your body was restricted, that feeling of intense hunger when you do first start truly diving into eating enough can last for a while. 
I've seen it last for people three months, six months sometimes, which is on the extreme end, at least from what I've seen. But your body will eventually level out. The primary reason for that intense or extreme hunger is typically due to your body going through a period of what we call hypermetabolism. So after a long, long time of your metabolism being suppressed or compensating for not eating enough or exercising too much, it kind of swings the other direction when we start to adequately feed ourselves and it can just be hard to kind of keep up with. Not everybody goes through this phase and the degree to which you experience that hypermetabolic state, if you do, is hard to fully predict because it does seem to vary quite a bit from person to person. It may be a little bit related to the length or depth of your restrictive eating phase, but it's really hard to know what to expect there. What you can expect is it doesn't stick around forever. Try to lean into it. Try to go with that extreme hunger as best you can, and hopefully that will kind of lessen how long you're having to deal with it. If you try to curb it or control it or suppress your appetite with caffeine, you're likely going to sit in that phase longer. We've got two more questions here. So why is 2,500 calories the magic number is what this person said for getting your period back? Unpopular opinion potentially, but it's not a magic number. That number, I think, was popularized by the book No Period, Now What, If I'm Not Mistaken. I think that's like the earliest resource that I saw it cited in. And that book is a fantastic resource. I highly recommend it if you haven't looked at it or read it before. However, that recommendation does come from math equations, right? It comes from some studies that estimated what weight-stable, fertile women of an average height and BMI needed to maintain their health and to maintain normal menstrual cycles. And then there was some math done, and that's how they kind of came to that number. However, that does not mean for you personally that 2,500 calories is a magic number. I would say just based on what I see in people's food journals and what we talk about on coaching calls, that most women I work with are going to exceed that number by a bit. But we don't even count calories in my program because I genuinely believe and have seen that you can adequately nourish your body back to regular cycles without hyper-focusing on the numbers. We focus instead on things like plate balance, meal timing, meal frequency, and strategic snacking in my coaching program because if you can do most of those things well on a daily basis, you will absolutely be able to meet your body's needs for recovery without counting calories. And for a lot of us with a history of micromanaging our food, controlling everything we eat, weighing everything we eat, looking at packages, the less we are focusing on calories, honestly, the better. And then once you've gotten your period back, the easier it is to transition into more of an intuitive style of eating. If you haven't spent, you know, your whole early recovery focusing on, I got to hit 2,500, I got to hit it, I got to hit it, right? Let's just start moving away from thinking about calories now as long as you have some other nutrition strategies in place that ensure you will be able to get to whatever your unique calorie needs are. Now, again, that's not to say that 2,500 calories may not work for you in recovery, but it's certainly not a magic number. 
And I think sometimes feeling as though that is the target to hit will keep some women from actually eating enough because their needs might be higher than that. That's why we don't focus on the calories in my program. We focus more on the tenets of how you're approaching your nutrition. And then our final question for today's episode, is it possible to ovulate but not have a bleed come afterwards? Yes, absolutely. And on the flip side, you can also have a period but not ovulate that. Now, typically, these two hormonal events do go hand in hand because of the cascade of hormone changes that tend to connect them together. But one absolutely can occur without the other. And in women with HA, that does happen, especially kind of in the early days. So if you suspect for whatever reason that you ovulated, but then you didn't get a period that month, I would focus on two things. First, if you're not doing so, I would start tracking your basal body temps and any other fertility indicators that you can so that you can get a little bit of an idea of what's going on, even if you aren't seeing a monthly cycle yet. Now, I mentioned it before, but we have a really great tracker that I will link in the show notes. Sometimes I find that using the cycle tracking apps can be a bit confusing and feel less than applicable if you haven't gotten that first cycle back yet, because it's almost like, what do I tie this data to? Our spreadsheet approaches tracking a little bit differently so that you can feel like you have data you can use organized in a way that makes sense while you're awaiting that first period. So that's one. Get to tracking those BBTs and other information like cervical mucus or things like that. And then secondly, if you think you ovulated but there's no sign of a period yet, I would go back and revisit your food and exercise habits and just see if you could be leaning into recovery a little bit more heavily. So are you still you know, running twice a week, but they're short runs or they're easy runs? Are you still drinking coffee and delaying breakfast till 11 because that's what you're used to or because your mornings are so busy? Things like that, right? If you are ovulating but not menstruating or vice versa, if you're getting periods but you're tracking temps and you realize they're likely anovulatory, you're probably close to being in a place where your body can truly fully recover its natural cycles, but something might still be holding you back. And so that's where really reevaluating your habits can come in handy. Okay, that is all I have time for today in terms of answering your questions. But again, if you asked one that I didn't get to, I've got it on a list. And if you missed the opportunity to submit a question this time around, there's a link in the show notes. You can do that before you forget, like do it right now, now that you've got a question fresh on your mind, and I will add it to the list for next time. If this episode was helpful, please consider following the podcast or even rating us or writing a review if you're on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us to rank and for more women who have similar questions to find us. I'll also include links to all of the episodes I referenced in the show notes, as well as a link to that recovery tracking spreadsheet, which I might be biased because I made, but I think is a really, really fantastic resource if you are still sorting out what the heck is going on with your cycles or you're waiting for that first period to come back, but you want to be able to track some type of progress in the meantime. So check out all those links. 
Go ahead and connect with us on Instagram. Submit a question if you have it. There's just so many ways that we can connect. So I hope you take advantage of those and I will see you next week.